Right now with me, I have Sergei, who is the translation coordinator from Wycliffe Associates. So I would like to ask him a few questions. Sergey, please, could you tell us more? What does it mean to be the translation coordinator for Wycliffe Associates? Well, for our organization, what is important is to involve into Bible process local churches. So, the local churches that live there, that work with those minority people groups. So, this is part of my responsibility and work to find those local churches that need the translations, that they uh, build relationship, we build relationship with them. I find people who will be working with translation. I encourage the pastor. I provide trainings. And also, we provide the support to them to address any challenges and issues that happen in the course of their uh, activities. Well, a personal question. Why do you work with this particular field? What is your motivation? Personally, well, for the first time when I just heard about the MAST methodology, which is an accelerated uh, method for Bible translation, you know, I'm like a grandson for the Apostle Thomas. I call myself like that because I was very skeptical towards this MAST methodology. There is a huge number of different translations, uh, so many different Bibles in place. Why would you invent the wheel when you already can fly in the space? So once I went to attend the event, so I've tried this methodology. And then I realized, well, the way I'm thinking is because we have dozens of translations into Russian language. So I try to imagine what if we wouldn't have them available, only Latin Bible. We could, trans we could understand that, but this would not be the best. So I've tried. I decided to uh, try it. I started to work towards that. Uh, we worked on developing this project. And then one lady from the minority people once told me, like, now, finally, Christ is speaking in human language to me. Otherwise, it was only in Russian. So I realized this is a huge need people have, that they don't have the scriptures in their mother tongue. They can understand Russian, but this is not their native language. It's not their mother tongue. So Christ can speak to them in a deeper way if this is their own language, the mother tongue. They use it to communicate to each other. So I could see the need, and then I liked it immensely. So I've tried it myself, and I could see that for the church, this is the way to fulfill the Great Commission. So once somebody said that churches, they replaced windows by mirrors, they look at themselves only. So I believe this is the time. So working with those small people groups to translate scripture in their mother tongues, that's the Great Commission, because it facilitates the church growth, it helps them to develop and also, uh, you know, people that will be uh, uh, doing the proofreading, the first draft, we will have to build the relationship with the people group that the message is for, the chapters, the verses, uh, this is a great opportunity to share the gospel with the non-believers, so that's why I'm here, that's why I like it so much. Thank you. Please, could you tell me, based on your experience, what are the results, the outcomes of the Bible translation work in the specific people groups? Did you see any transformational changes as a result of the Bible translation that is available to them now? Well, we're working uh, well relatively recently. We don't have completely finished projects on Bible translation. They are mostly in progress, two of them in Central Asia. And another Bible translation is based in Siberia. So we also have about five other projects just about to be started. So in the nearest months, 
we will start with those projects. But what can I can tell you, just two testimonies, two stories, what I could be the eyewitness for in Siberia. This was winter season and it was about minus 20 Celsius and then local people were standing there outside waiting for the completion of the work to listen to the word of God in audio format. I was so impressed. I haven't seen such a hunger and thirst since long ago. They were standing just outside in their national outfits, not to disturb the work in progress, waiting for the completion. Another story is from Central Asia. You know, there are many people groups that live in Central Asia. So some of them, they feel to be more significant, more respected. Some people groups are less respected and they don't have that dignity in their own eyes. So we started this Bible translation project with the Luli people group. For me to have a representative of this people group to come and to start attending the church, this would be a great victory because it's unusual. People in Central Asia, sometimes they are very uh, despising towards these people. They don't want to have anything in common with them. But then the group of translators came, they stayed for one and a half week in the Tajik church. So this was a great witness to me. It encouraged me greatly. Another story. This was with people that came from one region of Central Asia. They traveled through several mountain passes. And then when they started to work with Bible translation, it set them on fire. They wanted to bring the gospel to their own people. They were burning with that passion. So they were not just meaning to tell people, come to our church. We have Jesus. It's one thing. But then another thing is when you have your gospel in that language. So uh, it's available and then it's the same as it was yesterday and they were encouraged, inspired and this happy mood was ever present since then. So many people groups live in the former Soviet Union but then are there many people groups that don't have their Bible available in the mother tongue? Are there few or many? Well, the numbers are quite high. It's hard for me to give you exact numbers, at least not now. But then by regions, I can tell you, in northern Caucasus, about 40 people groups are still there with no Bible translation available. In Central Asia, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, their people groups, they don't have even a single line in their own language. In Siberia, uh, Tafalar, Siberian Tatars, those people groups, basically they can speak Russian language, but they don't have a single line of the Gospels, of the Bible in their mother tongue. So that's where we have to go and we need to reach out to those people groups with the churches where there are believers from these people groups. In Ukraine, in Moldova, Balkan, uh, gypsies, so they live all the way from Ukraine to Slovakia. These are the people that need to have scriptures. They don't have even a gospel in their mother tongue. This is a huge area to be covered. These are big people groups and I am very pleased to know there are churches with such believers from those people groups, ethnical believers, so just to come to start and to build on that because some people they have huge fear, well, what if we make some mistakes? Well, this is a great methodology which allows to do proofreading, to correct, to adjust and to refine the texts, the drafts that are available. It's better to give them something instead of having nothing, so to wait for for any perfect or ideal 
output that will be sent down from heaven. Well, it will not happen, so we have to move on. Yes, it's a must. You should come to the people group. You want to have the church, the Christians. Well, yes, that's the preferable way. I can explain why. The way we build our work, the local church, first of all, makes the decision which Bible translation they will start working on, whether oral or written. We also want to have Bible translators from the church people, meaning they are Christians, they have accepted Jesus Christ, and they have their life. With God, we want this project to be part of the local church activities because sometimes translators, we watch that happening. They become the drop of oil in the huge barrel of water. Of course, they are not ideal and they live with their people group. We want the church to be the owner of that project because they are the people locally uh, living there, interacting with people. So they are responsible for the quality of the translation, for spreading it and then to make it better because God has placed the local church in that people group which means God gave them the keys and the opportunities to reach out to those people groups so this is a great principle we believe to work with the local church as much as possible so yes your role and your task is to travel to the people group and to tell them and to present this methodology to them that's a great opportunity you provide trainings and then people themselves they own it they start to be actively engaged yes to train the churches, to find local pastors, to explain, to present, to have communication. We want this project to be the interdenominational uh, project so the churches could be working in unity, jointly, and then to provide them with all the possible tools that we have available so the churches can continue, they can be facilitating and coordinating this work, not to be uh, people in command, but to be coordinators, to call for the translators, to come together and then several checks uh, are happening like community check that's what we do like a proofreading tool when people that have this mother tongue they are listening or reading and provide their feedback also there is a theological checkup we want to find the local churches with uh, people uh, educated in theology so they work on those key terms I can quote one example for instance one people group they don't have a term for uh, dove they don't have a concept for that they have a concept for a bird like a bird from the woods small bird and then the translators they were thinking what to do so they thought maybe we can use the word duck instead of a dove so we thought we shouldn't replace terms like that so it's important to interact with the church with the theologians that are knowledgeable about scriptures to guide the translators to provide the advice this should be people from the church this is such a vital issue for us so we build the relationships and that takes much more time actually than the translation uh, itself so to look for those people to explain to answer questions etc well as you mentioned the proofreading the checks you do can you provide it in more details how you do it what's the process what is the steps uh, what do you do to make sure that the Bible translation is uh, correct with no mistakes of good quality because you don't work with the Greek original as I understand it right you use the other original text to start 
as a basis. Well, it's very difficult. Practically, it's impossible to find people from those uh, minor people groups that are fluent in Greek or Hebrew. I don't know even a single person from the uh, minorities, from the small people groups, fluent in in those languages. Even if they are there, they don't live in those areas. Maybe they are in Moscow or St. Petersburg. Well, the way we work, we have eight steps. Four steps are based on the uh, flow, the natural flow of the text. The editor tries to make this text as smooth and natural as it as possible. The other five steps are aimed to check and to do the proofreading. So this is to produce the initial draft. That's the way we call it. This would be the text produced by the editor. Also, besides the editor himself that checks his own work, there are three more people that would check him with different steps to minimize the number of mistakes that are remaining in the text. So, when the chapter or the book is finished in terms of translation, it is given to the people with this language being their mother tongue. So, they either read it or they listen to it and then they provide their feedback. Was it um, clear? Was it not clear? Could they understand it or not? With rough mistakes, identified the team of translators together with the uh, ministers from the church, they come together to decide and to resolve this issue, how to replace those words. Because not in all languages you can find the great vocabulary to pick the terms from, to answer or to handle all of those complicated biblical concepts. So they find solutions and then we provide the recommendations and the advice to the churches to engage theologians so they can together work with the translators to provide for the firm theological foundation, uh, addressing different terms and words to minimize or to eliminate the mistakes altogether. So the text goes through the net of various checks and people to minimize the mistakes. Then this translation is with no copyright, which means if you want to go back and to provide editing extra checks, you don't need to have additional permissions. There is no copyright. So if the church identified another mistake later on, or they decided to improve and to refine this translation, so that's their decision. And if they want to refine the Bible translation project later on, they can always do it. So that's the process which helps to improve the text that they already have in their possession. What's important is that people that have no Christ would have something in their hand to read or to listen to instead of waiting for years the completion of this ideal process as it used to happen in the past. Well, as I understand, you mentioned the people that have no Bible, they have no scriptures in their mother tongue, but then are there sufficient numbers and resources in terms of people to work with those different people groups? As you've listed them now, several dozens of those people groups, they are more than that. Of course, we lack people. That's the great prayer need that we have. We ask you, please pray for God to provide more people. Please, churches, support us in prayer that way, because sometimes to find the right person, like in churches where they have people from small people groups, well, that's a great victory when we identify such people. I have to make dozens, if not hundreds of phone calls to find at least one contact person from the uh, minorities, from the small people groups. So this is a long-term process. It takes a lot of time, actually, but we need more people. And the words of Jesus are still relevant. The harvest is 
is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Well, how about coordinators or facilitators? that can travel, being the representatives from Wycliffe Associates to do this work. Do they? Do you have sufficient numbers of such coordinators? No, we don't have enough of such people. So recently what we did, we had a conference, we invited the pastors and the ministers and the bishops from the whole Siberian area. We shared with them about our vision, the tools that we have available. We received a feedback from them. So now we have very close communication and good contact. So our job, when we travel to a place, we don't focus all uh, upon ourselves. We always ask the pastors and the people we know to find the contact person we can work with when we leave. So we train them, we educate them. So when we leave, we don't want this work to stop. We want this person to continue training the other people, to continue involve more translators. So basically, the work is not focused on us, ourselves. We always try to delegate, to delegate this work, the responsibility, the tools into the hands of the other people. Well, could you please tell us briefly about your work with the Hunty people? How did it happen? How did you start? What challenges you encountered? What joyful events you observed? What victories? I'm really interested to hear about that. Well, Hanti is a wonderful people. At least for me personally, when I learned to know about them, well, it started about two years ago. So it took me a long time to find the telephone number of a pastor and then I found it from Ruskinsky village the pastor of the world of life church that's in the vicinity of Surgut we we've talked I've shared about us they have invited us to come and then it turned out I've known that person many years ago when I was a pastor of the church in Tajikistan so uh, he was uh, in our area for some practical training. So this was like a God putting all the puzzle pieces together. So I went there and we had uh, four people available for training. We trained them. The process began. It seemed that it will take too long, but on the opposite, they mobilized themselves and in one week they've translated the Gospel of Luke into Hanthi language. Uh, and then they translated the other pieces, one-third of the New Testament in Hanty language. This was such a huge victory. So when we left, uh, they had one book from the Bible. Uh, they used flash drives to give out to the others to listen and to hear the gospel. This was a huge victory to us. The next victory, we've trained one more person that could move on to work with this. She's wonderful. And I'm so pleased that we were able to find such a qualified person. There is a future for the Bible translation, for the church, for these people. Of course, I understand there are many challenges still, but I have lots of great uh, impressions and I'm very hopeful because I can see how people come together and they take long hours to work with the Bible translations, even at night. So I can see this is a, a treasure, the value, it's so high. So uh, we have several translations. They have nothing. So for them, this is a great value and they appreciate it significantly. Well, 
For me personally, Hanti people, they are still a great example to me how the church in the Philippian church was something similar to that. Well, going through those difficult times and hardships, they still are passionate. They go through those difficulties and they want to help their own people. Because their people group, they are not nominal Christians, they worship idols, different gods, so this is the unplowed field, and we want to have fruit, and we will see it, well, the time will show, I believe, there will be great outcomes we will see in the future. Any challenges, any difficulties in the process of Bible translation, some unclear area, some unclear points of uh, challenge. Yes, of course, they faced those challenges. Many uh, terms such as grace, love, it's challenging because in their language they didn't have such words, they couldn't understand it. They have a very simple language. Well, another challenge of sorts when they were translating the Bible story about Bartimaeus because he was sitting by the roadside asking for alms. This was so hard for them to understand. Well, for us it's clear a person is sitting there waiting for the uh, for the help from somebody. Well, there are people that live in the woods and uh, their houses are placed like 8 to 10 kilometers between each other. So for them, how would anyone sit in the woods asking for alms by the road when there are no people around? So this was challenging to their culture. So when we talk uh, in a language, like uh, when we focus on Bible translation, we do, and we they have this fear of God, so they don't include any of their own thoughts or conclusions into the Bible translation process. So they went through that fear of God, including ourselves. Lord, help us not to do any harm. We want to help and not to harm and not to twist the Word of God. So that's what we observed. So life is also a challenging thing to them because there are daily works they have to be uh, doing and completing. But then ideally, of course, this could be the situation to have free people that sit and do Bible translation all their days. No, uh, unfortunately, it's not like that. They have their houses and homes to take care of the families and the work. Still, they are setting aside time to do this translation. They are very committed. So the gospel of Luke is translated uh, into the Hunter language. They almost are finished with the book of Acts. First and second of John, these epistles are translated and the gospel of Mark has been translated into Hunter language. So five books of the Bible. So later on in September, we'll start with Galatians, Philippians, and efficiency and on and on. So I understand they are volunteers, so they do their best. So for us, this is a double happiness. I can see that's their sacrificial attitude. They give their strength, they give their time, they are committed, they want to serve God by doing it for His glory. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you. Well, we talked a little bit about different people groups that live in the former Soviet Union area. Well, as I can see it. Maybe you provide some uh, details and clarifications about that. Well, for the translator to be able to translate, this person has to be fluent in two languages, a local language and the Russian language. Or is it a different concept? So, what significant role does the Russian language play? So, does it matter? So, when these people are working with the Bible translation, what's the 
basic text, the one they use as the original to translate from, into their mother tongue, right? That's how you do it. Well, let's put it this way. In the former Soviet Union space, for instance, in Russia, where the main language is, of course, a Russian language, well, uh, people, all people, they speak Russian, they understand Russian, and then they can use the Russian language to translate into the mother tongue. What's important, and this is the key condition, this person should not be somebody who learned this language. He has to be born into that language, the mother tongue, that he is translating from Russian into. So... It's good, of course, for the person to be fluent in Russian in Central Asia. For instance, Russian language is losing its former position. So, in some people groups like in Tajikistan, we use Tajik language as the basis to translate from into other languages. So, here we face different challenges. One of the challenges is the copyright issue, because there are many translations available, but all of them are protected by the copyright. So, in Russian translation work, we took the Synodal Bible and we revised it. So, we try to revise and to replace some old words that are still there, like for daughter, for the hand, ancient words no one is using now in modern days, so we replace them with the equivalent words with Russian language. Why did we do it? We wanted this translation to be used without copyrights for the other translations. In Uzbekistan, one person worked on the Bible translation into Uzbek, and then he just shared it with us with no copyright, and we can use it now for free. In Tajikistan also... There is another translation organization. They um, they gave us this special favor. They gave their translation to us to use it as a basic text, so Tajiks could use it to translate it from this Tajik translation into other small people groups languages. So we're looking for such uh, different basis languages. Maybe Russian. If people are fluent in Russian, that's fine. If not, we're looking for the other languages we can use as the basis to translate from. Ideally. Uh, the translation should be done from the language of the original text. And that's ideal. But then, just to reiterate what I mentioned, there are no people uh, from the uh, minor people groups that are uh, fluent in languages, that they are uh, sound in the theology, they are very rare, or they are not available at all. So that's why we can't use the languages of the original text of the Bible, so we use the other languages like Russian, so it's better to use that and to work on refining it instead of waiting for another 20 years, at least for something small to happen. Well, also, when you work on your translations, we can see and we can hear a lot of stories we receive that people are testifying while the Word of God is touching my heart because God is speaking my language now. This is a great testimony because even when you don't speak the ancient Greek, now you have so many steps of different checks and proofreading and you get your feedback from the local people with this mother tongue that they speak. This is a great result and a huge blessing for the people to have the word of God. Now, as for the timelines, the way I understand is that there are different approaches to the Bible translation. And then timelines are different. So your Bible translation methodology helps you to do it quickly, right? With the classical way of translation into Hanta language, 
I think you would need someone to be trained and to learn the Greek, then to spend some time to be able to translate, to find some equivalent terms, etc., etc. A lengthy process, but your methodology allows to translate much faster. Well, there are different approaches for the Bible translation. The first one is when a missionary comes from a different nation, then he stays, he learns the language, he studies that in depth. Of course, he has to be knowledgeable in Greek, in Hebrew, to translate the Bible from the original text. But that will take about 20 or 25 years minimum, because, you know, to learn somebody's language in depth, it takes a lot of time. So in this situation, there are so many challenges. For instance, financial support and other types of assistance, because for these 20 years, when the person is there, if not uh, supported, it's not possible. So financial support and assistance has to be there to bless them, to bless their families. Um, the second uh, challenge is that it's just one person. Well, God forbid, what if something happens and he dies or disappears? The translation progress is lost forever. The second methodology, when uh, people come to the country, some missionaries uh, fluent in Greek, in Hebrew, and then what they do, they take uh, some local people to assist and then they are monitoring all this process there are different negative sides also here because the local church is not involved in this case so the church is not owning this process they either accept the output the translation that is offered or they don't don't accept it also the support the financial assistance is another challenge here to help the translator to train people so this process will take up to 10 to 15 years maybe it's quite lengthy so a lot of energy, a lot of resources will have to be invested. The third methodology and approach that we are using, we find local people, they work on drafts. So the Bible translation uh, project will take sometime between three to six years. And these are local people. And they can use the basis language for translation. It doesn't have to be Greek, just to um, repeat what I've mentioned. We also have those checks, lots of checks. We have the theological check with the people that are knowledgeable in the sound theology. So this is a great cooperation framework. We work together with the theology seminaries and theology schools so they can help us. They can assist us with these uh, translations into the small people groups languages. With all of that, it takes five to six years, approximately. And financially, it's less costly in comparison to the two previous approaches I just mentioned. So you can achieve for much more in the same time. And also we're raising local people because when they study these scriptures, they grow, they become mature. So this is a blessing for them, for the local church, and then they bring it further. And then the church is involved. The local church is contributing. So that's what I understand, there are specific standards and requirements in terms of the quality of the Bible translation. So, even looking at the Russian Bibles that we have, some of the translations have been done uh, within this specific context, with a specific purpose in mind, for the specific target group, right? So, uh, somebody orders that translation, there is a target group, and then there are some lines you follow. 
But then here, it's a local church. That's a great uh, medium that you use. Also, another advantage, it's the interdenominational effort. The relationships between different churches, they grow stronger. So we have so many points of contact versus the differences that we have. So the churches, they have their joint projects. Even after that, it doesn't have to be just one church involved. We want this to be uh, for the churches of different denominations. So we don't go to different extremes in terms of denominations denominations, doctrines, uh, in the whole of scriptures. So we involve them with the uh, revision of Synodal Bible. We have Pentecostals, Baptists, Pente uh, Charismatic churches assisting with this revision process. We wanted to involve all of the different denominations and confessions so we don't have those extreme um, versions. Do you have any examples you could name when several denominations would work with the small people groups with the Bible translation project? Well, just to repeat some of my thoughts. We only started to work in Russia like two years ago, just recently. So, we are a very young organization uh, speaking about the post-Soviet Union space. So now I can only share how I was able to find some contacts, building the relationships, some preliminary agreements, some events we have conducted. So that's how it is. At the conference we just conducted, we had people from several churches, from charismatic churches, from the Pentecostal communities. Presbyterian Church was also attending. We try our best to involve different, different believers, the ones that are open, and we are open for the cooperation. We are not afraid of difficult questions. We are ready to explain, to persuade, to try and to find solutions. I do my best. I take an effort to do that. So that's the course that we are pursuing. Not just one single denomination. We are open for many because we want this to have an effect for many. Because who knows? How will God use this cooperation in the future to his glory? Yes, indeed. This is so important. I was talking to one brother once. He is a linguist. So I've asked him about the Bible translation. What was he thinking? Uh, a, a translation, a Bible translation into another national language, not Russian. So, so actually he mentioned this Bible translation is suitable for the Orthodox Church. Another translation is suitable for the Catholic Church mostly. And then my question was to him, how can you do it? to translate the Bible that all denominations would accept it, something, the unifying factor. Well, his answer was, we need a miracle from God, some special blessing and favor from God. But, praise God, I believe for that, when several denominations work together for the glory of God, this will be a well-balanced and sound translation. Well, we have a dream to set up some kind of the editor's committee responsible for exactly this, with the members from different denominations, the teachers and professors from the theology seminaries and from uh, local pastors. So it's not just academic circles we want to involve. We want to have pastors, the practitioners, to be part of this editor's committee, the ones that live in the midst of the people, to avoid a gap between the professors that teach the depths of the Word of God and the people that provide pastoral care for the flock. We don't want this gap to happen. So we don't want Christ divided. We want to build this unity. Of course, in this uh, area, we might seem to be naive. Um, or we don't want to be hard skeptics, but we're not naive. Well, I'm joking, but I'm convinced myself that there is this interdenominational work that is progressing. We have many things in common. 
uh, and we have a little diversities. We have them, but the common grounds are much wider. So we want to strive for the unity. We don't want to be offended and to close the doors. No, we are very open for cooperation. Thank you, Sergey. Thank you for answering our questions. I was so happy to have this opportunity to meet with you, to talk. May the Lord bless you. And my wish is that you have sufficient people, the staff, the committed workers for the Wycliffe Associates that will be working with those people groups, especially in the former Soviet Union area. So God's blessing over you and thank you so much. God bless you.